This is Southern Tier Close-Up on News Radio 1290, WNBF Binghamton, and WNBF.com. Southern Tier Close-Up, a weekly presentation of this station. And joining me today is the director of the Food Bank of the Southern Tier, Natasha Thompson. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Kathy. Uh, this is the first time we've done the program over the phone, hasn't it? I know, I know. I, I, I miss being in the studio with you. <laughs> miss the hour drive from Elmira. <laughs> It's so scenic and wonderful. It is. <laughs> well, you know, things obviously have been constantly changing for the past year. And uh, not just the pandemic now, but the whole makeup of, of government, both uh, really uh, nationally and statewide and not so much on the local level. But uh, we've got a supermajority in the New York State Legislature now with the governor and both houses of the legislature of the same party. We've got the whole upheaval in Washington, and you guys have been just hit with challenge after challenge after challenge with uh, personnel and increased demand due to the pandemic. Um, why don't you just give us quickly a kind of a state of the food bank, if you will, as, a, as the governor has been going through his state of the state for like a week long, you know, earlier this month yeah yeah wow it's been it's been quite a year i feel like we've lived you know 10 years in these last nine months um but yeah so this has been an unprecedented time for the food bank um uh, our our organization, along with our, our network of, of partners across the southern tier, um, have distributed uh, about 17.5 million pounds of food to uh, people uh, experiencing hunger and food insecurity in the southern tier. That is about 4 million more pounds than we did last year, just to give you an idea. Um, it is, it's, it's really uh, unprecedented. Uh, the demand... Uh, that we've seen has been, um, it was uh, really intense the first two months. So March and April, we saw a huge spike in, in people coming to our uh, network of pantries and, and meal programs and also through our community food distributions that we hosted across the region. Um, and then demand started to go down in May and, and kind of held steady through the summer months and then spiked a little bit more over the holidays, as, as it usually tends to do. Um, so, you know, what we heard from folks is that, you know, initially as people lost their jobs and, and we saw a lot of businesses closing or people being furloughed, um, you know, there was this mad rush to, uh, to, to access food resources. And then as people were able to apply for uh, unemployment benefits and receive those benefits, as, you know, uh, families with children were getting meals delivered by their school districts um, and then also becoming eligible for programs like the Pandemic EBT program that allowed them to access, you know, SNAP benefits to, to, uh, to help make ends meet, um, you know, people were in, in a better place and, and did not need as much assistance. Um, and then you had some groups that, you know, like seniors, for example, like people who are disabled or people who lack transportation or people who are at high risk and were told not to go out into the community, um, you know, those people um, experienced, uh, you know, consistent demand throughout. And uh, we were able to work with many of our partners in the local communities to figure out ways to deliver. We've, we've done a lot of deliveries to, to people's homes because people just we're not able to get out. So um, a lot of challenges, but a lot of things that we've learned through this uh, the last nine months that we're hoping to continue into this post-COVID reality, whatever that looks like. 
Yeah, I mean, we're, we're hoping to see that soon. But another challenge I know that your organization, as well as some of your partner organizations like Chow, we're facing with, we're actually the, the in personal experiences with the creep in COVID, with mm-hmm. having to back off on volunteers that were available because of outbreaks of, of the virus and positive test results and following the COVID protocols. Um, where you're facing a, an increased demand, how do you deal with that when you are finding that you have to back off on the number of hands that are there to help fill bags and boxes and drive things, you know, supplies to certain areas? Yeah. So, um, you know, right when this hit, we, um, like the week after the, the state shut down, we had to close our volunteer program here in our facility, in our warehouse. So we don't, we didn't have the volunteer support to help us you know, sort through food and, and pack bags and boxes and that kind of thing. We set up um, food hubs in each of the counties that we serve. So as you said earlier, you know, the food bank is headquartered in Elmira, but we serve six counties in the Southern Tier region. And we worked together with partners on the ground to establish food hubs in each one of those counties where smaller groups of volunteers could pack emergency food boxes. And, and that seemed to work pretty well because you could have a smaller crew of people doing that. And, and we wanted to have um, an inventory on hand in case the food bank had a positive case on staff and we had to quarantine and, and we had to shut down operations. You know, like back in May, in March, we had no idea what this looked like. We had right. no idea. You know, we were told you could get it off of the surface. You know, you had, you could do all the, it was just really, um, it, it was, it was, we didn't know as much about it as as we do now, right? So we didn't really know what kind of protocols to take to allow certain work to continue, you know, happening while keeping people safe. So um, we were able to reopen our volunteer program um, in August at a reduced capacity. So typically we have 40 people here or a maximum of 40 people that we can have in our facility uh, volunteering. And right now we're at 25% of that capacity. So we've got, you know, 10 people per shift that can come. Um, And then when we did our community food distributions out in the community, people were outside. So we felt a little bit safer as long as folks were masked up and they kept socially distanced because they were outside. We felt like, you know, we could keep them safe. And we had a lot of people that came out and and volunteered for those distributions. They were very popular. And we worked with a lot of incredible um, partners, uh, you know, specifically in Broome County. We, you know, we had great partnerships with the school districts, Whitney Point and Windsor, for example. They allowed us to host uh, community food distributions on their their campuses. And many of their staff members came out and helped. It was a, a really incredible um, example of uh, just uh, the willingness of the community to, to pitch in and help out. One of the big things that we've been fighting is, I guess the, the key word is pivoting. Uh, mm. Businesses have pivoted with their uh, operations and finding actually that they can maybe do more with less, which is sad because that means more people out of job and facing food insecurity possibly. Mm. And, and the food bank has had to pivot. Have you found that you've been doing more with less? And is this going to change your, I hate to call it a business model, but your business model moving forward as you've discovered new ways of doing things? Oh, yeah, we, we definitely, we, we've discovered many new ways of doing things, Kathy, for sure. Um, you know, one of the things that we experienced early on was, um, you know, challenges in our supply chain, right? So yeah. um, as, as grocery stores across the country were seeing, you know, like there were certain items, the shelf-stable items that people associate with food pantries just were not 
pasta. Pasta, spaghetti yeah. sauce. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, they, they, we just couldn't have them. Usually, you know, we 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 do order that that product. You know, like we we do purchase the, those items, and it usually takes us about a week. You know, we play we we say, oh, we're running we're running low on tuna. Let's order it, and then a week later we get a truckload of tuna. This was not happening at all. They were telling us eight weeks out, ten weeks out, twelve weeks out. So. We just did not have access to that product. But instead, we saw this huge influx in perishable items. A lot of produce came coming through, um, a lot of dairy products, a lot of cheese, um, a lot of frozen meats, like really great stuff. But, you know, that caused us to have to shift our operations to distribute all that stuff while it was still safe to eat. And um, and that worked out really well. You know, our, our agencies pivoted. We pivoted. We created these community food distributions, which were those large-scale drive-throughs where people had to pre-register in advance, and they got a confirmation number, and they showed up. And we just had volunteers put boxes of food into their vehicles, and then they just drove off. And people liked that. We were still continuing to do drive-through models uh, for all of our mobiles, uh, although we're not serving 500 at a time. We're serving about 150. Um, but people enjoy you know, knowing that they can stay in their car, they don't have to stand in line in the elements, especially now that we're coming through winter. Um, so that's something that we're, we're considering continuing as we move forward. Um, you know, most of, 50% of my staff are working remotely, um, except for our warehouse staff, obviously. The, the trucks don't drive themselves yet. Um, well. <laughs> and, so, and so that's been good, too. Um, you know, people have been very productive. They've been able to accomplish a lot. It's like, you know, I don't have to see your face in order to know that you're doing work. And, and the staff has just been incredible over the past few months. We've, we've, we've done so much in partnership with, with the communities. Um, and many of our agencies, many of our food pantries are run by volunteers. The average food pantry volunteer is a 75-year-old female. And we never had more than 10% of our agencies closed at any given time, which is incredible. They've had to pivot the way that they do business. A lot of folks have started online ordering where clients can go online to a website and select the food that they get, and then volunteers pack the bags, and then the, the clients will come to the location, pick up the bag, and go. Uh, many of our meal sites, all of the meal sites, you know, they can't have congregate meals right. anymore. Right. They're they're putting food in takeout containers and and letting people go, um, you know, uh, take that product home. So it's it's been, you know, top to bottom, uh, every aspect of the emergency food network has had to shift. And I think in many ways we've shifted for the better. And my hope is that we can continue some of those things into again a post COVID reality, um, because the, the folks that we're serving have actually. Um, appreciated many of those shifts. Okay, deep breath now. We're looking ahead with what is going on, as I alluded to before, Mm -hmm. Albany, Washington, a whole different change in landscape, um, fighting for emergency assistance or regular assistance through the SNAP programs and looking at the funding for all this stuff. What are you seeing down the pike and what are you hoping for in this coming year? I mean, we know it's going to be tough for the new administration in Washington, D.C., even with an evenly split Congress to still get things done because of a whole bad feeling of, of on the political scene. And, and unfortunately, charities like the Food Bank of the Southern Tier and others end up being kind of a ping-pong ball that's caught in the middle of all this. Well, I can say that, you know, hunger is a nonpartisan issue, right? And I think regardless of, of, of where you come down ideologically, I think that everyone agrees that 
um, you know, we should do what we can to make sure that Americans are fed. And we've been very fortunate that throughout all this, regardless of which administration has been um, in power, uh, you know, the work of food banks have has been appreciated and, and recognized. And, um, you know, we've seen increased funding to USDA Federal Commodities Program, um, which is a program where the federal government pays farmers for their surplus. A majority of our food this year has come through that program, which has been tremendous. And the new, um, you know, the, the, the latest COVID-19 uh, relief bill includes significant um, increases to that program. So it provides, I think, $400 million in additional funding for that program. And New York State's share of that is going to be $25 million. So that's tremendous. Um, you know, we saw on a state level... Uh, the governor supported uh, another $25 million uh, for the Nourish New York program that provides food banks with resources to purchase New York State-grown agricultural products, you know, things like milk, cheese, produce, meats. Um, so, uh, you know, where we see challenges is um, around legislation that impacts individuals' ability to access food, right? So, like, the SNAP program is a great example of that, um, you know, depending on, on who, you know, who's in power, they might be supportive of increases to the SNAP benefit or they might not be in supportive of A lot of times that program is vilified as, you know, yeah. a handout. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and but the research shows that um, SNAP is not, you know, a lot of people call it a safety net program and, and some people refer to it as, you know, it's, it's a trampoline. It allows people to bounce back. Um, you know, people go on SNAP when the economy contracts you have increases in SNAP participation. When the economy expands, um, SNAP participation goes down. And especially during, you know, this pandemic, you know, SNAP is the first line of defense for hunger and food insecurity because the charity system does not have the resources to do it alone. Like, so in normal times, for every one meal that the food bank and our, our network of agencies provides, SNAP provides nine meals. So you can't support just support the charity food system if you really care about hunger it needs you need to do both you need to make sure that the the agencies the organizations have the resources they need to do the work that they need to do but we also need to ensure that individuals have the resources they need um, to be self-sufficient and and together we can ensure that that people don't go hungry the other thing that that we saw was you know the the legislature never took up the uh, child nutrition reauthorization Act, which funds school meals, which funds the summer feeding program, which funds WIC. And we saw during the pandemic how our school districts went above and beyond to make sure that kids got fed, even though they weren't in school. It is a tremendous program. It's really important, um, and it should not be uh, seen as a handout. Well, it's going to be interesting to see in the upcoming months how things progress. You know, from, like you said, Washington right straight down. If people want to find out some more about the Food Bank of the Southern Tier and the programs and services, how do they find you guys? The best way is uh, on our website, foodbankst.org. And, uh, yeah, you can sign up for our e-newsletter. You can sign up to volunteer both here and in the community at our mobile food pantries. Um, There are many different ways that people can um, support our work and and learn more and we couldn't do this work without everyone's support thanks a lot natasha appreciate you being my guest today
This has been the Southern Tier Close-Up, a weekly public affairs presentation of the station. This program was recorded for broadcast at this time. I'm Kathy White for the Southern Tier Close-Up. He is all about home comfort for plus.